0: We are not heroes, nor are we villains, neither kings nor magicians, but we can tell you their stories. We are the Lore Keepers, and we welcome you to Hallowmay. Micah had turned away from his flock long ago. There was a time when his own actions would have disgusted him, but adaptation was what separated house resilience from the others. And while it was true that the purpose of an angel was to play caretaker to the lives of mortals, in these days that call had taken on a new meaning. Micah had forced it to. He had no other choice. Ever since the ash curse he watched helpless as generation after generation grew more corrupt. As their souls emptied of the all-sustaining nourishment of the Nine Flow, they grew so uneven. The symmetry of perfection was gone, and as the rivers of the Nine Flow were boiled away, all that was left in the barrens of mortal souls were three consuming demons. Fear. Shame. Anger. The Houses of Legion had never been prepared for this. The Regions had willed each angel into existence for a specific purpose, each purpose as particular yet limitless as the fabric of eternity itself. As such, it was not in an angel's nature to be flexible, not the majority of them anyways. Micah and his brothers and sisters had been made different, though, under the guiding hand of Muse. They had been formed with the knowledge that even the best-laid plans perish before that greater eternity, the dimly-lit ocean of the unknown. Micah had never met his Maker. He did not know the Mother of Invention, and as such had never had the opportunity to ask her what she had foreseen in his making. Such thoughts rarely surfaced in his mind these days, though. He avoided thinking of the Ethereum, of the glorious Chaos of Imigos, the realm of all Halume's novelty, his home. Such recollections were too painful to recall since the bridges of the Nineflow were torn and knotted, left to sist and drown themselves endlessly in the eternal dark. Life had become a sort of special hell tailored to each soul that lived in the ashes of the good that once was. It mattered little that Micah had spent millennia nourishing the souls around him. It was his purpose to take care of them, regardless of the toll it took on his form. These things were of no consequence to him. Not at first. But time is a cruel teacher, forcing us in decades to contend with that which we may excuse ourselves in an afternoon. And unlike us, Micah had centuries. Centuries to watch as generations perished. That's when the resilience of his namesake started to kick in, and with it, a small thought planted itself in him. What about one thousand years from now? What about ten thousand, or one hundred thousand? If the nameless ever do find a way to repair the nine-flow, they will find nothing but ashes. And then the nameless one truly will have won. So Micah left behind his flock Stepping into the open maw of the world, he became a wanderer, biding his time in secret by walking the hidden caverns and tunnels that reamed through the ageless depths of the dark below. In that blackness, Micah was as a waking flicker in the dreamless sleep of death. He had long ago lost track of the years by the time he saw the village of lights. Excerpt from the apocryphilly of Micah of House Resilience. Alvar Aredi, Sixth Scribe of the Venonatus Legistorum, 3139 AQU. Welcome to Hellomé. You are listening to Lore Keepers, a lore-building podcast where we explore eons of history, heroes and villains, and the forces that whirl about it all. I'm Frank, one half of our small crew, and I'm very excited to share with you today the episode that we have prepared for you. Without giving too much away, we explore the closing years of Avum Secunda and watch as magic returns to the world. Now, if that feels like a spoiler, don't worry. The meat of the story is the interesting part. With that in mind, we hope that you've enjoyed the last couple episodes that have investigated different parts of Avum Secunda, breaking down and exploring just what it was like to live in that hellish time. Ever since the beginning, Carter and I agreed that we wanted the community to feel encouraged to share their take on Halloween. And with that in mind, if you're interested in getting in touch with us, or perhaps you've got stories of uh, your own that you'd like to share, stay tuned to the end and we'll tell you how to do that. But until that point... Whether you're interested in stories, looking for inspiration in your own world building, or perhaps you want to participate, listen in and we'll tell you how an angel and a gnome changed the world forever. Was I referring to it like it was the state?
1: Yeah, you're like, what's, is that the only thing in Seattle? And it's like, no. Oh, Washington, oh. Seattle's not the only thing in Washington. Oh, well, what
0: I meant by that, Carter, was, is, is Wizards of the Coast the only thing in Seattle? But no, they also have the Space Needle.
1: Apparently they also have Rainforests in Seattle.
0: Well, they have rainforest in Washington. Yes. Shut up! <laughs> you shut your face. And what are we talking about today, Carter? How about how about we how about we do that?
1: Um, I think we were talking about something to do with um, like so. I think someone put the left the tap on. The tap. Yeah, I'm referring to the fl- uh, A certain amount of uh, oh, amount of, yes. Uh, a flow about uh, I'd say maybe eight, maybe give or take one
0: uh that sounds about right the eight flow yeah or it's maybe the not it might be the ten flow i can't remember something like that either eight or ten or what's the i feel like there's a number in between there that's escaping me
1: yeah the nerf
0: flow the nerf flow like nerf nerf darts
1: yeah like the number nine.
0: Oh, like in french <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes we we're talking the about flow. the nine flow
0: uh yeah, the, that's that is our sort of our subject for today, is it not?
1: Yeah, I think we were talking about its return to the world of Sutter.
0: <laughs> You're an asshole.
1: So so Franku um how how did how did Sutter get 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 magic back in?
0: Well, how about we? Yes, so Sudar got its magic back uh was able to get back on the dance floor and get funky um you know kind of got it's if you know austin powers is kind of that situation where he's got his got his his well that was mojo this is magic you're Here's, thinking you're mojo's thinking, you're is a thinking. whole other force of power that we won't get no i'm that's ridiculous the I, mojo flow yeah <laughs> yeah yeah what if we actually had oh god that'd be terrible um no uh yeah so the the nine flow so yeah in order to talk about this stuff though gotta have like the context of kind of what we talked about a little bit of last episode of uh well i guess honestly it's the first what's important from yeah first episode probably more than anything else we talked about the ash curse we talked about the fact that the uh, world of Halume, the, the cosmos of Halume lost all access to the nine flow, which is the source of magic. Uh, and more than just the source of magic is the source of morality. You could say, you know, people no longer are able to act in a moralistic way, access to joy and peace and, and sort of these abstracts, these disambiguations, but without all of that stuff, all of a sudden you have a world that is bestial. People behave much more like animals than people. Uh, Some people take advantage of that. The elven lords created the Shrouded Empire, which was basically vampiric magic because despite the fact that people didn't have access to it, they were still desperate for it. I mean, it basically became a drug or an addiction. Um, And some people figured out ways to... Some elves specifically figured out ways to uh, draw magic from the bloodstream of others. Um, And uh, we also talked about the Draconic, um, the... What did I call that? What do we? What's the name of that? Something War. Dra- the uh, the, Draco War. The Drakenfall. Drakenfall. Yes, the Drakenfall. Um, and basically, how the Empress of the Empress of Chaos is that what we called her?
1: Uh, I think we've called her the Fivefold Empress.
0: The Fivefold Empress, right? The Fivefold Empress disappears, goes off into the cosmos with all of the Chromatics uh, because they are looking for a source of magic. Uh, Once they were protectors and caretakers of the sentient races, the knowing, and now they are they disappear for thousands of years and then come back raining like hellfire and brimstone from the skies, destroying everything that they can see because they decide that they're going to rule and conquer and because they were taught dark things or learned dark things in in the darkness between the stars. So that pretty much catches us up from episode two. So now that we're
1: back and we see the we've seen the effects of the loss of magic, right? We went into right. that in detail, like you said, Shredded Empire, the Dragonfall. Shit gets real, and it gets real quick,
0: and it gets real bad, real quick. Yeah, yeah. And it and it well, actually, it, it gets real bad over a slow period of time. There was there was you know sort of a what is it called the gentle slope to into darkness. I don't remember what that's called, but there's like a sort of a turn of phrase. It's like oh the well, there's the you know the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's kind of like that you know the elves convincing themselves that well, hey, we're the caretakers of humanity. This is us just extracting a price for looking after them like livestock, and you know, till eventually they're justifying their actions. Uh, it's but the yeah.
1: gentle sloping hill of darkness. <laughs>
0: yeah, you know that old turn of phrase. Yeah. Everybody calls it the gentle sloping hill of darkness, the or the 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 GSHOD.
1: Yeah, but you know, we we hit we hit the kind of rock bottom of the gently sloping hill of darkness, and uh, now we're looking up at the the mountain that
0: is the return. Yeah, it's a pretty significant event that changes things for forever. So, all right, Carter, uh, we're going to talk about the return. Where should we start?
1: I think we should start with events uh, that really kind of brought about. Uh, pave the way for the return right let's not we're not going to jump in straight to oh and this man or this you know gnome hit the rock with the hammer and voila magic came back right i think we should uh, be that's... like well what what is a gnome <laughs> and what is a rock
0: <laughs> what is life what is magic that's a question we're almost never going to truly answer beyond what we've already said but uh, yeah, uh, uh, Yeah, we could do a little bit of background uh, stuff on that. Joking aside, I think it's it's a little bit valuable to know kind of in in terms of context for why the gnomes were uniquely placed to figure out and understand this stuff. So talked a little bit about the progenitor race, right? We talked about a race where the elves, or where the dwarves, halflings, and gnomes come from, right? Yeah, they
1: were hanging out uh, in the, the crystal bit.
0: Right, so the Erebor crystal, the one that the... Uh, the faceless, the nameless one, the nameless one destroys on the thousandth day, the end of, or the thousandth year, the end of humanity's golden hour. Uh, and that brings into the, it brings in the ash curse. They were basically the caretakers of it. It required attention, required some, you know, processes and, uh, so they live very close to the core, uh, the center of the world or the realm. Uh, at this time, it's not really clear whether the world is actually a planet or whether it's a plane of existence that's simply flat. But wh- whatever the case is, these, uh, these progenitors were uh, close to the core, right? So then the ash curse hits, and shit gets really bad. Obviously, they're in the blast zone. Most of them die out. Um, some of them survive and um, become the races that are known today uh, as, the, do, like, as the dwarves, the gnomes, and the halflings. And we, we can talk about all of those in detail later. But basically, th- this happens during the Ash Course over a period of like tens of thousands of years. Um, so the main thing that, uh, that we'll focus on is one of those races becomes the gnomes. Um, and they become what they are because of their association with magic in a time when people are completely destroyed, uh, that they don't have any access to the Nine Flow. The gnomes were a specific, they be, they came from a certain sect of those progenitors who were obsessed and fascinated with the crystal because of the, the nature of the crystalline core. And they, sort of the heart of this world, they wanted to figure out how to fix it or how to work with it As time goes on, they start to deviate from their companions, from the rest of their family tree, and they continue to stay underground during this time of the Ash Curse. And this actually puts them kind of out of the way of a lot of stuff. They figure out how to basically hide in the darkness, how to um, stay away from others, and basically kind of just sequester themselves so that they can continue to perform experiments. And this gets harder and harder as the generations progress because the generations move more into bestial and less into uh, being scientifically minded or, um, you know, yeah, being or just even being rational, regardless of whether it has to do with like faith or spirituality or, you know, science. Um, But one of the things that happens is, is they become very occultic. Um, they don't know why they're doing what they're doing. They only know that they have these traditions that they have to manifest. And uh, and sort of one edge of that is the sort of the craziness on the edge, the, the insanity on the edge of the extreme rule. So all of this is happening, um, but it's happening in so many locations that there's sort of a lot of different iterations. Basically what I'm trying to say is that there's like, There were thousands of these little gnomish communities that were uh, hiding in, you know, these tiny villages in the middle of nowhere in the rock. And they were surviving off of mostly fungi, um, other things that, that, you know, mosses, their eyes were accustomed to the darkness, you know, they adapted. Um, But here's the number one thing. And the thing that makes them gnomes and not the progenitors is, was there right away they had a good starting place to figure out what is going on with magic and how do we how how it works um they were uniquely placed to understand the, the nature of magic and how it inter- interfaces interacts with the physical world so what they do is they start experimenting with crystal they start uh trying different associations, ordering. Uh, They learn that Crystal can, to some extent, just retain mana, sort of the the presence of magic. But the problem with that is, is that there's not really a lot of mana to go around. So even just trying to get it to be stored in something, they figure out that they can actually give off some of their own energy and sort of store it like a battery in these crystals. Uh, But it's an extremely dangerous process. And even to get a slight amount, uh, they basically go insane in the process and um, the, what they, what they store is next to nothing. So I'm going to set aside all of that for a moment to talk about the houses of Legion, um, because they kind of play an important part in all of this. So, the, uh, the Houses of Legion um, are sort of the different sects of the different angels, uh, sects as in like divisions. Um, there are major houses and minor houses, but it amounts to being uh, tens of thousands of divisions uh, that sometimes only relate to three or four uh, specific angels, and it all has to do with kind of what their job was. During the time of uh, the Ash Curse, um it was pretty, com- or before the Ashkirst, it was pretty common for angels to exist either in the materium or uh, in the, the materium being the material world that uh, Siddhar is a part of, or being in the ethereum, so kind of one of the two. Um, they frequently acted as emissaries or ambassadors on behalf of the the will of the, the regents, so of course they would need to be down on, um, you know, Terra firma figuring out how to make that happen and just generally tending to people because once again at the time
1: hands dirty doing the job.
0: Yeah, exactly. Just like making stuff happen. So this happens. Um they're they're kind of on the they're they're in the world when the ash curse happens, and in a strange kind of freak accident, um they're cut off from the Ethereum, but they don't expire immediately. Because as much as they are creatures of almost pure magical energy, they are capable of retaining that and holding on to it. And in a lot of ways, similar to the ways that the elves looked after and tended to people, they actually looked after and tended to the whole of the knowing, including the elves at the time. But this becomes harder and harder for them to do. Um, since they are creatures of pure benevolent energy, they don't get corrupted in the same way that the elves do um, but they do end up at the beginning at least kind of wasting or it's it's an acclamation process of figuring out how much of their own life that they can you know their their own like life source. That they can lend to the knowing races to keep them in a sane or or moralistic state, and so at the beginning they burn through a lot of their own personal resources trying to take care of their people, right? They're t- trying to t- take care of the knowing. This gets worse over time, and they and they it gets to the point where they kind of reach the edge of themselves, and if they give off any more of their own Bits. life, then they will simply cease to exist.
1: They like evaporate.
0: Exactly. Yeah. They'll just, they'll just evaporate. And this is incredibly painful for them because they are sort of programmed to survive and to continue to do good. And sort of one of those things where kind of utilitarian, you know, do the most good for the most number of people. And the only way to make that happen is if they continue to exist and hope that one day they can kind of just help people. But for now, they can't anymore. And So a lot of angels start to exile themselves and push humanity and the elves and everything so far away from themselves that they no longer can see it. You know, just to walk the barren earth by themselves alone uh, and do their best to not think about it and not give in to the urge to to go and take care of others. Now, not every elf or not every angel is doing this at the same rate. So, some of the more powerful among them, the planetars and the devas, they are, you know, the, the archangels. They're they're able to still continue to maintain some level of rule. So, there are places that are protected. But the by this point, the Quantity of uh, humans and just like the number of people in populations in general has increased to an amount where um, they're more looking at things on a macro scale, Um, Um, especially considering the fact that um, angelic beings of higher orders usually were more about delegating to lower order angels anyways, where, you know, they had more of a yeah, more of a managerial position, you know,
1: the whole House of Legion thing is, you know. Just one basically giant fucking chain, it's like, you know, I oversee all these ones, and I don't really do a lot besides tell these people where they need to go and what they need to do
0: right, exactly. you spend your whole day telling other people what to you know it's very it's very militaristic, you know you have your fire teams and your uh, you you, know, you have your squads and your platoons and your brigades and your etc. <laughs> and it just continues ascending up the chain
1: I, do have, you know, I the, do have a quick question about the kinds of angels that might be found you know. Wil- wilting on this this uh, manless land.
0: That is a perfect word for it. Yeah, shoot. Uh,
1: how how does um, Halame mesh with uh, the you know the you, you mentioned some D D monsters there? So mm-hmm. the Solar,
0: the Solar.
1: Yeah. So basically, this is the most powerful of the angels. There's you know in the D D lore, there's seven of them.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I just don't have those in this world. Then I guess you could say those are kind of like what the regions are more than anything else. Although the regions are seen as gods, yeah. Um, and I don't know how the Solar are, but like the regions are undying; they cannot be. It's sort of to say, like, to ask if you could kill a region is to ask sort of like if you could kill the Earth you know romanticism aside the earth is like a ball of rock it's you can no more it's no more alive than you know than the sun is so you can't really that's a that's a subject for a different time yeah that's, that's yeah, that I good. that I stumbled myself into yeah that was not a good not,
1: not the best analogy
0: nah whatever yeah but um no that's. uh yeah so there I never heard of them and the thing is is maybe they do exist and I just have yet to, we have yet to decide where and how. Because I, I honestly, would say maybe, I'd be down with that. Maybe
1: something like the the heralds of the regions.
0: Sure, sort of their representatives. Well, I will say there are um, for each regent there are two heads of house that their job is to basically interact with as ambassadors to the other regions. Because regions can't actually pass between their plane in the Ethereum to the other ones, they're not capable of leaving their own home plane. And since the Ethereum is actually composed of nine different heavenly realms, they constantly need to communicate with each other. And the only way to do that, or one of the one of the best ways to enact that, is to have ambassadors on your behalf who like uh, who exist within the courts of those other regions. So typically, a region will have eight. angelic host beneath them that uh, will act as sort of, you know, the, the messengers or the, or the, the, the court, whatever you want to call them for, for the other realms.
1: I think, yeah. Ambassador works well. Representative, mm-hmm. you know, surrogate, all these words work.
0: Surrogate's a good word for that. Yeah. So yeah, maybe it's similar to that. There would be substantially more of them than, uh, than in D and D though. Yeah. If that was the case. Oh, are you talking about Solars? Yes. I think... Yeah, no, there would be Solars. I think Solars, though, would just be pretty militaristic creatures. If I mean, if you saw them in the the physical world, like, shit's going down somewhere. Like, somewhere there is a war raging between angels and demons or devils. Like, and basically,
1: my suggestion, which might be interesting to look at, you know, at some point... Is what if they're, you know, so there are very few solars, right? They're incredibly powerful beings. Mm-hmm. What if one of them was cut off? What if one of them was on Sadar? Ooh, when, I like that. Yeah, because this is an incredibly powerful being that, you know, their purpose is not to get, you know, guide in, in as much a way as the divas and the, what the devas and the planetars are. They're like a force. <laughs>
0: Well, I will say, I mean, on the day of that the Ashkris occurred, uh the end of the golden hour, there was there were many many angelic forces that were in uh the first city um at the time, you know, there to celebrate and and you know, partake of sort of the joy that was the event was supposed to embody. So, I would not be surprised if there was at least a solar or two that was there simply just to watch over and to um you know, rejoice with everyone
1: because yeah, that that would be very interesting to look into at some point you know the story of the the solar that was disconnected you know and you know the solar itself it's life force is an incredible amount of mana right
0: mhm yeah it's i think i think trying to give context for how much that is is a pointless silly game because they're basically undying in order for them to contain that much mana there are uh, uh, creatures of supreme power that could be seen as demigods if they didn't uh forbid worship of themselves absolutely okay so we should probably get back on track here good 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 deviation i think it was uh you know worthwhile but we'll we'll focus back yeah, in here
1: yeah we were talking about the gnomes right the we're talking about the gnomes
0: with the, in the affinity of, with Crystal and the exile of the Houses of Legion. Um, yeah. So the, a lot of these angels self-exiled and they uh, began to just kind of wander. Um, one of the best places to get isolated is if you're underground. You know, there's not really a lot to see down there. Uh, it gives you plenty of time for contemplation. So they'd sort of do these walking meditations that because of the fact that they never slept would last for, you know, thousands of years. And they... It, as a as a sign, it became common for them to don a gray cloak to sort of hide their uh, distinguishing features or the you know the the glow that they always carried about them. Um, so you'd have these sort of strange glowing figures that could sometimes be seen on the edge of the horizon that would just be like you know walking ceaselessly. Um, and so uh, after a time in, in places around the world, people forgot that the angels ever existed because you know they became. Stories, and then legends, and then nothing more than myths, eventually. You know, it's important to remember how long the Second Age lasted. Avim Secunda was literally eons. So, this happens, time forgets, the angels, the angels uh, of self-exile continue to walk. Eventually, one day, um, a angel by the name of, I think Micah is what I decided was their name. Let me check my documents really quick. So, yeah, Micah, this angel, is walking through the Underdark, and they eventually find that they're stumbling across a strange, bizarre construction that they've never seen before. He kind of checks it out, gets closer, and realizes that it looks like it's been constructed by somebody who knows what they're doing it is a series of crystalline little crystal gems that have been um there's been like a little auger drill hole in the ground and they've been placed in this massive flat field in the middle of this like you know dark cave and they're just glowing very faintly right so as they look out over this they've realized or they they'd kind of turned a corner and stumbled on a village by accident. but this isn 't the thing that drew them there what what he realizes is that he'd actually been uh, drawn to the the there was something about the air or or the atmosphere that 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 drew him here and and he realizes that because of the fact that he hasn't tasted this for thousands of years it's manna in the air there is it is a trace it is a it is an amount that would be pathetic even for a magician's garden in the later ages but at this time it, it was a bounty that nobody had ever tasted or seen before so he immediately wants to know what's going on and he requests like, interaction with the, you know, village leaders uh, and ends up talking to them and discovering that they have basically been this completely hidden sect of the, of the gnomes that figured out a way to create a field of, of mana draw. And it's, like, incredibly small. But basically what they discovered is, is that when the nine flow was cut off no river can be truly cut off. It can, o- if anything, it can only ever be pinched or bottlenecked. And that was what they believe had maybe happened. Or maybe these were just the residual drips. Or maybe it was what was left over in the world whenever magic gets expensed. Like, you know, where does it go? Does it go kind of into the, you know, does it pass out of this realm? Or does it, they're not really sure where the magic is coming from. They just know that this field is capable of producing it. And so Micah sees this and basically says, this could change everything. You know, and they start to, he starts to figure out like ways that this could be used better and together, like with the requested aid or like, you know, with the uh, approval of the uh, people of the, the village starts to help them make the field more efficient and more powerful. And over time they start to get like a sizable community where people's minds are returning to them. And more than just having this loose, like thin edge of insanity, they are able to start to build on it. And this, this kind of continues for a few years until Micah figures out, he basically has a vision and that vision is they don't, they don't sleep, but they do have, you know, kind of like waking reveries, um, and Micah sees the potential for what this could be, so he returns to the surface, armed with this knowledge, and goes to the uh, the the pillar of Oberisca, which is basically it's a rock formation in the middle of a ba- you know a barren, which pretty much everything is a barren yeah. uh and climbs atop it and basically using... S- Almost all of the magical power that uh, that he's been, all of the mana that he's been um, bathing in for the last, you know, few years, uses almost all of it to send out like kind of an all call to all of the houses of Legion or any angel that would respond over the next several uh, months, um, and it is just him with his hands outstretched or his hand, out, uh, single hand outstretched on the tower of uh, Oberiska and just speaking the word hope. And it's about all he can really afford to share with the rest of the world. So the other angels hear him say this, and they slowly over time start coming to Oberiska. As they, as they get closer, they notice that um, they're occasionally passing these fields of you know, crystalline tiny tiny little you know no no larger than you know a finger sometimes about the size of a fingernail of you know of gem but it's enough that it's creating these like fields of that that are collecting almost like a you could sort of think of it like it's like a solar farm that's uh that's like netting it is it is drawing in this magic and together they all start to form a plan of how they could start to build a civilization, a safe haven from the darkness of the world beyond. Um, And together, between them and the gnomes, uh, the gnomes accept this on one condition, which is that the angels may never share the secret for how they build these fields and kind of, you know, how this stuff works. Um, And as as a result, it gives the gnomes, like, you know, a specific sort of favorite advantage in the midst of all of this. Together, they start returning the world to a place of sanity.
1: I mean, so they're planting, if you will, these fields that gather mana from somewhere. Yep, and they're sowing these all around. Like this is the beginning of the of what will come.
0: Yeah, it's uh. So they're basically sowing them around Oberiska. So they kind of have a little operation going. Um, I I don't know kind of where you want me to go from here. I know, uh, like, I could kind of get into the specifics of,
1: I mean, like, what's the next step, right?
0: Like, we
1: got these crystals, these fields. They're small, and they do very little. But, you know, this very little is something. You know, it's a drop of water in a desert. And that drop of water is very important for the people that are, you know, that are dying of thirst.
0: Right. And that that drop of water.
1: still just a drop of water.
0: Right. as uh, And as oases will draw people, true oases, not, you know, the the, the illusions that you always see in, in media. But, um, wow, that sounded like some sort of weird right wing thing. <laughs> you yeah. know, those oases that you only see in Oase, the media. An
1: Oasis versus a Mirage.
0: Yeah, yeah. Basically just, you know, if you find a well or a cistern in a desert, you're gonna go towards it. And when almost the entire world looks like a desert, uh, that's you know kind of how people take care of it so um, what they start to do is uh, first the legions the 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 different uh, houses of legion the angels within are able to share some of the information they've collected from their wandering for thousands of years and some of those include knowledge of the Velt, which we will get into later but for now just kind of Key that one and putting that in the back of your mind. Let's let's give
1: it a title. You know, the land in which magic
0: never left. Well, it's not exactly that, um, but, but that, that's I would the- say the 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 best thing I can describe the Veltas is, is it, it it was a promise. Okay. Very <laughs> so <laughs> very very yeah very mis- mis- mysterious. Um, so what happened? Yeah. So the the fields start to pop up, and the more you know, they kind of get a whole situation going where uh, angels protect the uh, oboriskins. The oboriskins, the, the gnomes specifically, um, start to mine and draw from, from the ground uh, different crystal. Um, and so, you know, once they kind of get a proper situation going, they're creating larger and larger fields and the fields start to have synergy with each other where the more of it you have the stronger the field becomes and they realize that they they start drawing bandits and marauders to their location within the first you know 20 years or so you know this is literally like it would be like trying like if there was a very small mountain that was out in the middle of the the sahara and it'd be like why would you ever go out there it's like that and all of a sudden over the course of like 20 years so much is so much mana becomes drawn that like if you were to look at a map from overhead other races start being drawn by almost like an unseen force just by a desire of man even if they're not aware of it tribes of uh i guess you would just call that like you know roving tribes or whatever uh, start to get drawn towards location yes even some of the barren elves so which you know we'll talk about some other time yeah but 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 uh,
1: not really the shredded empire right
0: um, uh, no, they were, they, they kind of didn't really need magic, you know, they, were they didn't need to find magic elsewhere. Yeah. This is more the near insane groups that, uh, were very, what's the word when you, you know, don't stick in one place and you like move around um, a lot, specifically in uh, like a tribe. You know what I'm talking about? Whatever. We'll keep moving on. Yeah. If, um, so these tribes are, you know, they start getting drawn towards it and, um, because all they know is that they want it and they don't really have the awareness of, or, or sort of like higher thinking to understand what's going on. Many of them just try and do these nomadic, nomadic. Thank you. Nomadic, nomadic. And they are nomadic (laughs) tribes. Wow. That took us like eight, six minutes or whatever. Thank you for looking that up. Um, yes, many nomadic tribes, uh, they, 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 they want what they've got. So they start attacking the city, right? Um, which and like, let me just let me just interject, interject
1: that attacking a city full of fucking angels sounds like a terrible idea.
0: Yeah. Not a good idea. Even if the angels are depleted of their strengths, I mean they're still legion. Like they are still legion and they are many. And so even even though there's only a couple hundred angels guarding these people, that's a lot of angels to be guarding a city. So and now it can actually be properly called a city and they realize, oh man, like we need to start building walls. We need to start kind of getting some, some structure in place. So a city starts, you know, forming, they put up walls and, and within these walls, they, you know, are protecting the fields within, which also provides a a level of security for the gnomes that they can work with sort of with um, uh, more, more in the open, not having to worry about guarding all of their secrets all the time. So, one day, some some halflings arrive. This is this is over the, uh, like a couple centuries later, having heard about the activity and what is going on in Oberiska, um, Some of them decide we will come and we will seek shelter there. Now, the halflings at this time had discovered the velt. That's what actually makes them halflings. They were an agrarian society at the time. Um, the velt, as I've kind of mentioned before, what it was was it is the one green place left on. The world, and we can, we, you know, we'll, we'll probably have an episode about the Veld proper one day. But for now, it's it's worth it to say basically that they come to the gates of Oberisca bearing seeds. They offer saying basically, we can help you plant and make like actual fields and agriculture. Uh, they strike a deal with the gnomes and the angels. God, that is a, such a weird thing to say, but whatever, it's a weird world. Um, so thus, a second set of city walls is built, lower than the last, um, so you have the inner city, and the gnomes agree, basically saying, we will make a place for you to live outside of the walls, and we will make a second set of walls to protect you, but you cannot come inside and you know see our fields, right? So you almost have these two different sets of fields that are growing problem is eventually, after a couple of centuries those inner uh those inner walls are starting to get more and more g- gunked up with these fields, and you kind of are they're running out of space right uh, initially they're thinking, well, maybe we can just expand outside the walls and just tell the halflings like you know you can't you can't go over here um, close your eyes <laughs> yeah exactly, just you know just you can you can you can hoe this field, but you're just gonna have to close your eyes while you do it so there's all sorts of different brilliant inventions that come during this time, um, but aside from the Shrouded Empire, this is the sole place, not even the Velt is this way, this is the sole place in the world where there is civilization, morality, and knowing that the people behave in an, a knowing way. Yeah, I mean, this
1: is hands down the best place on Star. <laughs>
0: Yes, exactly. And for uh, over the course of a couple another millennia, it becomes a legend and myth in its own right, where people talk about it as being this untouchable, impenetrable city. Uh, nobody knows what goes on beyond the walls. Only the halflings and the gnomes are present. Um, they're not really sure as to, like, you know, the things that occur there, uh, but uh, um, but they know that anybody who gets close is killed you know, frequently on site um, because of the protective nature of the angels. So it becomes a, which is, which is not entirely the truth. They wouldn't just kill everybody. They kill those who are, who, are, who would attack and harm the city or at least like disable them. But what people know is, is that anybody who goes north, towards that city is never seen again. So, you know, you get sort of the, this walls of Jericho situation where, you know, it's impenetrable. And within, finally, there is a place, a safe haven for people to practice and develop ideas and theories about how to bring this to an even further scale. This time, it's not Micah, but a gnome, a Nim, uh, to be specific. Not a Nam. Not a Nam. Uh, a Nim, who a female gnome who has a,
1: a Nam, a female. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um. You get inspiration for that. <laughs> if we were playing D&D right now, I would I would give you inspiration. But uh, no. Um, names, and, uh, names
1: are male lobes. Names are female lobes.
0: Right. And that's, once again, man, there's so many. Dude, we got to do so many episodes because I feel like we could have a whole episode just on like gender and how that all works and like why it bugged the hell out of me that people were calling things like a dwarf woman or like a gnome man. <laughs> it's not. It's like.
1: And we need to have a whole episode on it's a drawer, not a drawer.
0: <laughs> You're never going to let that go. Nope. Ugh, all right. Well, yeah, we'll have an episode about that one day. Okay, so they build a the city and things are going on inside and people are inventing and discovering and this lends a lot to the eccentricities of the gnomes. I mean, they're basically bathing themselves in a pure magical bath for... Centuries and millennia, <laughs> and it affects them. They they change. They uh, become more eccentric, um, fascinated with crystalline structure and the nature of prismatic uh, uh, a prismatic world. Some of them actually start to hypothesize that time itself is prismatic. Which I'm not even going to touch that for now, uh, but we'll, <laughs> I'm just going to toss that one out there. Yeah, the idea that time is a prism. Anyways, experiments afoot. Many many different things being developed. Eventually, we're we're going to focus in on one specific gnome. Uh, she Her name is Tiriro Rockrut Administeri, um, which we'll just call her Tiri for short. Gnomes like having really long, absurd names. So Tiri is working through the fields one day, and she's hanging out, and she kind of has a Newton-esque experience where kind of uh, laying down against the ground, something that she enjoys doing, getting like really close to the, uh, to where the crystals are actually laying. And then at this point, the crystals themselves have started to grow. They figured out a way to literally grow crystal like plants. And so some of the fields have crystals the size of trees uh, that are working together. And yet, even so, you'd think that that would be able to increase the amount of like mana that is carried but all it does is it's basically just a bigger battery with a really low current you know or voltage that it's not necessarily charging it any faster it just means that they can hold more and this has been bugging her for a long time she of of kind of an order specifically that is helped to you know provide life to her city is bugged by the fact that you know her people are still limited by the, the very slow process of drawing magic. And there's been, you know, this is the time at which there's a lot of talk about expanding further into the fields of the halflings. And so she heads home. And this is one of those things where, honestly, I think we could kind of world build a little bit around this because I don't know necessarily what gives her this epiphany. But she makes a connection and realizes that, holy shit, it's not the number of crystals you have it is their arrangement it's about their connections the connecting space in between them and she starts to understand and do measurements and figure out that it's the energy is collected not in the crystal itself but in between the crystals and so she starts experimenting with different patterns grids matrices uh,
1: pentagrams
0: (laughs) pentagrams hexagrams uh all all those different grams you know or just like Any, you know, she creates concentric circles. She creates circles that are interlocking like Venn diagrams that extend for, you know, uh, a quarter acre. Um, And she keeps on practicing until eventually she figures out, lo and behold, the ideal uh, layouts, which are these fractal-like patterns that, that kind of start in one location and... Uh, have a self-similar either spiral or spreading out like bismuth stone it's, you know sort the of you Fidonacci get
1: those... sequence come on
0: it's very yeah yeah it's it, there's definitely some like golden ratio shit going on there i mean come on i, I, I couldn't resist uh, <laughs> but be, it's based in i mean it has a scientific analog which is that's how antennas are made like antennas used to, you know how they used to be really big and long and like stick way out of a cell phone or yeah. out of anything? Nowadays, we don't have that anymore because most uh, devices, and I'm sure somebody's going to call Bull on this, but you know, you can take it up with PBS. I, I was watching a fractals program a long time ago. Um, that uh, for a while, antennas started to be made as these little squares that were uh, organized in a fractal pattern. And I I mean, I don't have an example to show you, but like you can think of sort of, If you were to bend wire at a 90 degree angle and have it continue to go further and further in on itself in this complex pattern, it it increased reception by like 90%. And so that's kind of where I'm drawing this from, is this idea that those same fractal patterns are increasing the ability, uh, the the, the relationship between The reception of mana. Exactly. It's like increasing the reception. And so all of a sudden, it's this massive breakthrough. And these fields are drawing mana like a thousand times more than they, uh, they were before. People start moving around the crystalline structures. Huge projects go about uh, where the angels are, are helping do double duty of, like, lifting and moving these crystals so that they can create this one singular... It starts out as, like, many, many different fields, and this basically, like, vaults Tiri right to the, like, head of the councils and that, um that rule... The entire city, so
1: goes from Chibry Ob- to the Big T,
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, Big T uh, up on up on Oberiska Hill. Um, <laughs> so she and and so like this changes everything. Water starts to actually form, in it starts as the form of dew that, like in the mornings. Uh, whereas before, water was still collected and. Uh, they had to be extremely careful about rationing, and and magic could occasionally be used to do this. But now they have such a wealth of energy that they can they can start to practice hydromancy, and they they you know they start to grow these fields even more. So the the, the halflings uh, experience bountiful crops that they hadn't experienced before. You know, aggressive uh, uh, agrarian magicians figure out ways to get even more crop and grow <laughs> the land even more. Agrarian
1: magicians. <laughs>
0: Well, when you're locked up for thousands of years in the only sane city in the world and half of it is just farmland, you know, you might you might dip into that. You might uh, discover you really have a thing for magic corn. I use my
1: magic to grow corn.
0: See, that's the D&D campaigns that nobody ever talks about. What happened to Stardew Valley (laughs) D&D? Man, I kind of want to try that someday. I don't know. Honestly, it'd probably be really boring, but... I, I, that's a side note.
1: Yeah. A side note is suddenly we have an incredible amount of mana being generated than before and we're getting close.
0: Oh yes, we are. And this, this is when things start to get unintentionally bad because all of a sudden that beacon that was sending out to kind of the barons or in the, in the nearby, you know, few like thousand miles or so, that that weak signal has become a glaring like siren siren call to to all of the all of the race, races and nations and almost like like unknowing zombies even the shrouded empire starts to send emissaries that way um the any nomadic tribes they're you know they're they're heading like lines for it and things start to go bad quick Day after day, it becomes almost this unceasing uh, draw of of these these like maniac tribes that are that are attacking. Um, as they get closer, uh, the the desire to just like drink in that mana becomes stronger and stronger, um, and it, it comes to a head with the the Shrouded Empire. Now, at the time or bef- before before sort of these discoveries, um, when sort of that other half of the legend when when people were drawn into the city, they weren't necessarily, um, you know, not every one of them was killed, you know, plenty of people who uh, simply were just desirous of it were actually taken in and sheltered. And that included um, humans that had escaped slavery, that included the dragonborn, who were basically soulless, Um, although they um, that was kind of a different scenario. The dwarves were also taken in. And so in those those days before Tiri uh, actually discovered this, this, you know, nature of the relationship between all of them, uh, they had these sort of small thorps that existed within the, 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 the extensive agrarian walls, the secondary the cl- walls. Yeah, these little cliques of, like, a dozen or two dozen inv- individuals. And most of the time it wasn't large enough for a society to actually continue because, um, you know, you get a lot of, you know, inbreeding and, uh, the, you know, there's really, like, the, the number of halflings is far larger than any other population. Um, what, the, even the,
1: the dwarves can't breed with the halflings.
0: Uh, they can, but as a result, they're no longer, like, they're not, like, the, the people that are being born aren't dwarves anymore. Yeah, they're stouts. You know? Their stouts were actually in 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 because uh, I think that's a isn't that a type of dwarf? No, that's hill and mountain. It's uh, a type of it's... halfling. Oh yeah. Uh oh. You know what? I kind of like that. Maybe we'll say that stouts came from relationships between dwar. It, 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 yeah, it, it started with dwarves and and halflings.
1: I mean, it makes sense.
0: Yeah. No, I like that. Uh, you know what? That's getting the canon sticker. That's where they originally came from. These days, like, a a, a dwarf and a, a human ha- that have a child is called a, a mole. Sort of like, you know, mule but without the E. It's basically just a very stout, short human. Anyways, that's a digression. Interesting, though. I kind of like that. Um, not to be confused with stoats. <laughs> isn't a stoat like a weasel? It is. Okay. Yeah. Not, not to be confused with stoats, no. Uh, okay, so... Uh, Things are getting bad, though, right? The Sanguine Empire, or the Shrouded Empire, all of a sudden is very interested in taking this city. They have been lusting after magic for, like, at this point, over 10,000 years. The Shrouded Empire has been the only dominant force, and the only reason that this city had been capable of surviving itself was the fact that they had relative anonymity. Anonymity anonymity thank you in a very very remote location but now they've just painted a huge target that the whole world can see i mean even you know even thousands of miles away on entire different continents people don't know why but they start to migrate west literal like like small you know tented towns uh, say this location is no longer fit for us. We need to move further west or east or north or south or whatever draws them closer.
1: Manifest Destiny.
0: Yeah. Man- mana. Is that a joke? Was that a joke <laughs> about man- <laughs> Manifest Destiny? Uh, God, it was
1: unintentional, but it was great.
0: Manifest. Manacon 2017. Insert humor. Haha. Ha. I am so funny. Okay, so I'm getting a little lost in the weeds here. I'm going to kind of focus yeah. in
1: magic's returning but it hasn't it's a, returned yet when yeah is it returning
0: okay so magic i mean it's begun to return but it's nothing like the future generations we still have this sort of you know badlands mad max-esque level of like you know civilization versus like the feral um, yeah, and now we have
1: the <laughs> The Pharaoh bearing down upon the last true bastion of proper civilization and the the terrible, terrible evil one is like, let's go fuck those guys
0: up. Things are going in a bad way. Oh, this is this is going to be interesting. But the entirety of the Shrouded Empire, they start to like they they do their first runs. Right. And they get slaughtered because it's still angels. Right. And now these angels that are empowered. And they figure out, you know, those that survive and, and come back have enough like cogens to say, basically, the only ways we're going to win is, is by sheer numbers and on all sides at all at once. Uh, sure. And because this city doesn't rely on anything from outside of it. You know, they have their own water. They have their own like food, magic that they have basically the only magic in the world. You know, yeah. the Sanguine Empire has been breeding humans forever to just like, you know, draw, you know, vampirically from their own blood.
1: Yeah, if I was one of them filthy shrouders, what I would do, I'd get all my my human battery slaves and be like, let's just whip them. Exactly. Get them running at the walls and let's see how many of the angels want to slaughter.
0: So it's, yeah, it basically becomes, so yeah, they decide to all band together and attack at once. And they get very close to destroying the whole city. They start to siege it. Um, many get over the walls. It's the first time that uh, people are actually getting slaughtered, uh, you know, within the first layer, Uh, a lot of, you know, like kind of martial law becomes a thing. Uh, The halflings uh, are allowed to move into the uh, inner city. Um, You know, the second, the second layer of walls near the pillar itself Um, with the condition that they are allow themselves to have an enchantment placed on them that when it's triggered, they like lose all memory of the things that happen inside. So they're getting slaughtered they're getting destroyed but so is the sanguine empire and it's a sort of an arms race of like power versus numbers and um, especially because these uh, these vel, uh, elves I just called the sanguine empire again I meant shrouded empire um, yeah
1: it's kind of a cool name
0: for it too yeah but I mean the
1: reason why we call the sanguine empire is because of the the blood magic that's going on and you know we're tossing around the idea of uh, they're calling them sanguine elves right
0: Right, exactly. Uh, so, anyways, um, they are attacking, and they have the advantage of yes, their 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 flocks, their their herds of humans that they've been raising uh, that are oftentimes magically bound to them using um, different enchantments. A pretty common one is a, a form of like shackle that sort of has a, has a distance on it um, where one controlling elf will h- uh, hold the shackle and will like command the, the humans. And if, you know, if they disobey them, they can uh, inflict pain on all of them at once. Um, so you have basically, you know, these, 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 what would you call a person who hold, uh, like holds control of a lot of dogs?
1: A, g- a hound master.
0: Yeah. They're, they're basic. Thank you. They're basically <laughs> hound masters. Um, and they finally take out the gate into the city they finally start to destroy what is inside. Actually, you know what? Uh, I think I'm going to call, call an audible on the canon here. I don't think that the city has a gate. Why would it need one? For I mean, the small...
1: It, it probably uh, has some just, sort of gate. It's probably not what we expect it to have.
0: I think there's no gate. I think that the walls completely close it off and anybody who comes inside, could you, I mean, hell, if there's a dozen people that the angels elect that like could uh, come into the city, they just straight up airlift them. They just <laughs> pick them up and fly over the walls. I mean, they're <laughs> angels, you know?
1: Yeah, it doesn't happen
0: so. very often anyways. Probably Here's only now, happens a couple times a year.
1: Yeah, now that they have their mana back, flying is like a, a thing they could do. So I think that's what happens. All right, so, no gate. It is just thick stone wall.
0: Of course the elves are able to figure out ways to get over it because they're clever um and <laughs> and i'm gonna i'm gonna jump forward we could probably talk about that like war yeah. for a while but like i'm gonna jump forward to the end of that because i realize right we're there. running over an hour now and i haven't yeah. even talked about the return of magic in its proper yet yeah so, we, might,
1: we might have to fucking two-part this thing
0: yeah Maybe. We'll see. We'll 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 just keep going and see where we end up in another like twenty minutes or so. Hopefully it won't be another twenty minutes. Um okay, so the elves attack. They are destroying the city, the angels are protecting it, and they are demolishing the the, the powers of the the, the elves. And Tyri, in the midst of all of this, is kind of like watching one night from a wall as fires are being burned. Uh, little, like, settlements, you know, these these walls extend for a far direct, uh, you know, far in each direction. Um, sort of, uh, you can kind of think of, a, like, an Attack on Titan situation, where you've got, like, this really, really far out set of walls and all of the, all of the farms within. Have you seen Attack on Titan? Yep. Okay, yeah. So I haven't finished the about. second season, but... Oh, I didn't even know there is one. I gotta see that. Okay. It sounds uh, kind
1: of, you know, not as good as the first, but it's still pretty good.
0: Okay. Um... And she basically knows kind of without a shadow of a doubt that it is pretty likely that everyone will die if something isn't done. Both the elves and the and the humans and the dwarves and the halflings and the gnomes and, and even the angels will, will uh eventually burn out because the forces of the elves just keep on coming. Um and humans are dying by the thousands. Uh Elves are dying by the hundreds. I mean, these are still fairly concert, like small numbers because, you know, once again, we're living in a place that can't really afford to have a lot of people. And the uh, the gnomes have never had any need to truly protect themselves or like pick up arms, nor did anyone else because the, uh, the the angels took care of them this whole time. There was never really any need for a larger like army force. So she basically has an idea and it's kind of a horrible idea, but she thinks that it might solve the problem, which is all this time, kind of after after the the moving of these fractals and the forces of the world had started to come, she and the other uh, people of the administery had started a new kind of secret project, which is slowly converting the entirety of Oberiska into a spire of pure crystal.
1: Is that a capital S spire?
0: That's right. That is a capital S spire. And she pr- was, she was overseeing, um, at, at this point she's kind of more advanced in years. Uh, she's over, she was overseeing like plenty of, uh, like groups developing and, and working on and making this thing, um, viable, but she believes that she can tune it like a tuning fork to one of the nine flow, one of the nine abstracts. Uh, and, she is doing kind of her own experiments while, uh, in the evenings, while overseeing the development of these, you know, the, the, these massive changes and processes during the day, and she realizes something: if she can tune to one of the nine flow, then it could be done again, and elsewhere. And if this war doesn't stop all of them will die and all of this work will be lost. And who even knows if anybody will ever survive again. And so she has a decision. Uh, she decides to go talk to the rest of the advisory and convinces them over a period of several days in, in, in which there are many uh, of the most like elite of the, of the legions forces to uh, call for a ceasefire, to speak to the elves and to tell them, You know, we won't attack you. We won't destroy any more of your forces and you won't destroy any more of our forces. And the collateral is, in exchange, we will also build you a spire. And they take it. They accept it. They uh, meet with the elves, with the the leads of the, the Shrouded Empire. They're, well, I don't know. Are they a guy or a girl? Let's roll a d6 and find out. I might just cut this, but um, it's a female. So they meet with their Empress uh, of the Shrouded Empire and her council, and broker an agreement. And as a result, the Shrouded Empire is granted a uh, with 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 the you know with the clear exception that a we'll never share our knowledge with you. B uh, it will always will always be protected by uh, a House of Legion. Um, which at this point there sort of was a uh, a surrogate family that was created, a surrogate house that was created that was about the protection of this ley lines, these ley lines, and it's called the House of Spire. And um, or you know what, maybe what if we should, what do you think? House of Spire, or House of Oberiska.
1: I think House of Spire.
0: Okay, so they're guarded by the House of Spire, and the Empress agrees there's a ceasefire the forces retreat and in exchange as Tyri finishes the, uh, the 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 last touches of their spire she decides that afterwards she will go and help oversee the the building of a new spire elsewhere it is an extremely high price to pay they're not sure if it will bring back the morality of the 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 people around them uh, or of the, of the of the elves um but they think that there's maybe a chance that once it is in place uh, it it will not make them more powerful it will make them it it will make them more powerful but it will make them also more moral and what she decides is if we tune this one which of the nine you know what here this is another cut we're gonna have to do because I didn't think about this which of the nine flow do you think well maybe we won't cut this which of the nine flow do you think would, would make the most sense for this one to be
1: hmm you we want to say all all of the nine just the yeah nine yeah I'll, I'll run then we'll i'll say, run through them really quick yeah.
0: quick um where are we here compendium glossary here we go beings forces so yes and the abstracts are perfection charity ambition creativity wisdom truth joy will and peace I'm going to say no to will. I mean, no. Uh, yeah. For, for,
1: for reasons <laughs> known to me. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. Well, I'm going to put the on that one.
1: It would be fitting if the, the gnome one was tuned to peace.
0: See, I'm actually going to say, so, so I'm going to say no to that. So not peace or will. And I'll, and I'll, that one I think will make sense in a little bit, but okay. uh,
1: then creativity
0: creativity all right that's what i was thinking so they they tune this one to creativity and um let's all right so we'll kind of finish up with that what happens when the spire actually gets triggered um they complete the last of it and the gnomes enchant it and it is an extremely powerful dangerous enchantment that requires the energy of almost all of the mana that they have ever gathered ever the hundreds of years of gathering um since the, the the fractals have first moved, Tyrion is in kind of the the edge the end of her life, um, and together their most powerful enchanters, uh, uh, who you know the the angels kind of protect as they're as they're doing this to keep them from completely dying, enchant it to try and mend the tear or the cut or the pinching off that happened in the heavens, and they are successful almost as a sign that they are successful, an incredibly powerful monsoon begins to form, or or like, you know, uh, uh, like uh, like a hurricane-level storm over the sky. It washes, like, yeah, and it becomes like a monsoon that, like, washes over the entire city and the entire landscape around it um, and changes the world forever because it is now the first time that mana is actually available and has actually returned and almost immediately there is an echo of the heavens themselves as the angels feel the first connection back to the Ethereum. Um, the houses of Legion for the first time are, are uh, bombarded with the thousands of voices of their allies, uh, the, the, the other angels in, in the heavens and the, and the regents even, um, who are speaking to them, wanting to know what is going on and what has happened. And I think we'll kind of save some of that for another time. Um, we'll finish with saying that basically the last thing that uh, that Tiri does with her life is they go to the uh, the Shrouded Empire. They go to the, the the lead city where the Empress is and she builds them aspire to peace. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. I mean it was kind of obvious that I was leading there when I was talking about why not, but um yeah, it was kind of their last trick that they play is uh it, it just as much as the gnomes are filled with creativity and become these bastions not only for scientific brilliance but also art um that uh and like strange mechanisms and tinkering and stuff that the uh the the elves are given a more pacifistic approach. Um they become more relaxed uh and the spire you know this second spire takes even you know you know more time than the first because they have to gather all the crystal and you know they have to build this and the whole time you know it's you know that's that's a whole another story for another time about like that experience especially for Tiri, who basically knows that she's so close to the end of her life she's probably never going to see her people again you know she's not even sure if the the journey will kind of carry them there um but she has a vision that she shares with Micah, who, because angels are immortal, uh, she shares with uh, him before she leaves, which is, it is a plan to place nine of these all over the world. Knowing what she knows about the way that, f- that man is gathered through the fields and not through the singular, you know, acquisition of a single uh crystal. If they create a field of these, they might actually be able to cause magic to return in full. Or if not in full, at least to protect the world once again.
1: Yes, it may not be the same as when the who was it, the Erebus crystal?
0: Uh Erebor. The Erebor crystal was you know intact. Yeah, they'll never be able to mend the heart of the world, but at the very least, they can maybe bring morality and and uh insanity back to the feral races that walk the uh, walk the world.
1: I think that I think that's a good place to end on.
0: Yeah, that's uh. Are
1: we gonna stop? Are we stop in the recording? We... Um,
0: don't don't stop it just yet because okay. we have one more thing we got to talk about. Okay. Which is, uh, what do you think we're going to talk about next week? Where do you want to go from here, Carter? What did you like about what we talked about? What do you think would be um, the kind of the, the next place we could go? I feel like there's a lot of loose threads that this uh, this episode laid down. That you know, perhaps so one of these.
1: So one thing which you know maybe isn't for the podcast, but maybe it's for a, um, a Microsoft a campaign. Oh or yeah, a campaign even. Fucking, I would love to do this campaign, which is fucking like Lusarius the Lost Solar.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Like, are you? So, what are you, what are you thinking? Like, uh, they're are they in exile, or are they do they have their own kind of secret nation that they're holding somewhere? I protecting?
1: think. I think uh, this is like, like you know, the backstory of this person would, as this angel would be that they had a nation, right? They were like very great and some terrible thing happens, right? mm mm-hmm. Either maybe their, their mana reserves finally stop, or some other, you know, like, maybe they find out about the, the, the vampire tendencies of the
0: elves beneath them. Or oh, like and decide to wage war or something like that. Yes. Or you're saying, like, they're, like, looking after what is to become the Shrouded Empire, and, like, they... Th- Trust that the elves are probably, you know, good guides or, you know, take caretakers of of uh, of humanity, but start to actually discover the dark things that they've been doing.
1: Yeah, perhaps it's like, you know, the man reserves, you know, finally run out of the solar of the solar and, you know, but the elves have been looking after these humans and, you know, he has this belief or, or she has this belief that the elves can do it. But, mm-hmm. you know, they will, they will, they will die. You know, they will use their essence if they keep, if they keep staying, like you were saying. They need to out themselves.
0: Man, and dude, they I do. really like this. Yeah, okay. they do
1: it for thousands of years and they come back and then they see the Shrouded Empire and they're like, what have I done?
0: Oh, wow. Okay, dude, we, you know what? Uh, maybe we'll do a microscope after this. Uh, I don't know what you're up to today, but like. Um, we should we should probably stop recording now. We'll we'll have decided what we want to do, you know, by next episode, obviously. But uh, I think, yeah, I think until then, uh, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening in. We hope you've enjoyed this exploration into the land of Sidar and the realms beyond, or at least found some good material to add to your own stories. The best way you can find to contact us is via Twitter at 1000icons, that's the number one followed by the word 1000icons. If you like the podcast, give us a five-star review and tell other people about us. That is the best way to show your support. We're really excited about the project, and we've only just begun to share with you all the stories that we have come up with in the world of Halame. And don't worry, there are plenty more to tell. But until then, thanks for listening.